right, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, as we are off and running with episode 20 of the Bomber Brothers. Sean and Ryan with you here this week. We'll get, we'll get all three siblings in at some point, but we, we tried it with, ran into some technical difficulties, but um, we were, Sean, we were just on last week talking about how dull it is in the off season before the winter meetings, and there's not much to talk about, and then the Yankees were kind enough to go ahead and, and make a trade, and now... There is something to talk about, and we will talk about James Paxton and the package the Yankees gave away to Nick Stellini of Baseball Prospectus and The Athletic in a little bit. But first, why don't uh, we just get your reactions? The Yankees get one of the starters that, that they needed, so if you're Brian Cashman, you're halfway there in terms of revitalizing that rotation because Cashman did say he wanted to grab two starters. So how do you feel about starting pitcher acquisition number one? Um, I'm very excited. I think, um, I'm not a huge Paxton fan. Um, but the, the package that they gave up really wasn't anything that's, um, you know, that that's kind of groundbreaking. I, I would, one of the things that stuck out to me was how out of favor just the Sheffield had fallen. And, um, you know, that, that, that was kind of shocking. But now when you think about it, you have Paxton and Severino, um, at the top of the rotation, uh, there's a lot of interesting things that that Cashman has the ability to do. If if he goes out and uh, and trades for Kluber because he still has the chip in Andujar, that becomes the best rotation in the American or National League. And if he goes out, um, you know, and gets Corbin, that again becomes the best rotation in the American or National League. So you could you can become the the, the best rotation through trades or free agency at this point. Yeah, I personally am a big fan of Paxton. I know a lot of people are going to bring up the injury concerns, but um, it's great to have another another you know quality pitcher with ace stuff in the rotation. And you look at some of those injuries, and they were a little fluky. He got hit by a couple comebackers, which didn't do him any favors to shrug yep. off that you know injury-prone stigma. But uh, there were some other ones that I think – raised some eyebrows there was the uh there was the back issue he had and then he had and then he had a strained forearm and, and then a strained lat so um those were concerning but um that we both listened to the last effectively wild and they uh were talking about it at length and talked about how he got a new conditioning coach and started doing a whole new program and since then he's uh, been a lot better in terms of health and endurance, and I definitely think that showed on the field. And it's also important to remember the kind of pitcher he is when he is on the field. He's in the top percentile in almost pretty much every valuable pitching category. So when he's on, he's one of the best in baseball. And to have him paired up with a guy like Severino and and still another efficient starter in Tanaka, that's that's already a so much better of a rotation than they had last year when you consider basically that they've just flipped uh, James Paxton and got rid of Sonny Gray. Yeah, I mean, the the exciting... Well, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned is, is Paxton's health, and that really doesn't concern me that much because, like you said, he's changed his conditioning, and there was a couple freak injuries in there. Shoulders fine, elbows fine, so let's not... You know, I'm not worried about that. But when... The only thing that did concern me was um, I saw Katie Sharp, former guest, who's awesome, uh, tweeted about uh, his exit velocity or, uh, you know, he he gives up a lot of hard hit balls. Uh, But 
in Yankee Stadium, I think that swing and miss stuff really plays uh, really plays up be- uh, anyway. So the Yankees are getting a high strikeout guy, uh, which will alleviate some of the defensive woes that the team has, which is great. And then one of the things that you said about Tanaka that really excites me, imagine if they go out and get another top-of-the-line pitcher. They have the best rotation in the top three in the league, and then their fourth starter, it's not a stretch, could go out and beat anybody. I mean, when Tanaka's on, he's he's – He's up there with, with the best pitchers. The problem is he's not very consistent. So that gives you four pitchers where no matter who you're going up against, you know you have a good chance to win that game. That That's something we haven't seen since probably 2003 when they had the, the combination of Pettit, Messina, uh, Clemens, and, uh, and Wells. Yeah, absolutely. Even think about 2009, they still only had three reliable starters that they went with for that whole postseason, which is still remarkable to think about that they never faced elimination with those pitchers. But, but anyway, um, I, yeah, the, the average exit velocity and seeing that he can get hit hard at times would be concerning, especially in Yankee stadium. But I also, you know, I also think that kind of just comes sometimes with the territory of relying on a quality fastball a lot is that when hitters do square mm-hmm. it up, it gets hit hard and it goes far. And, but you know, you also have to remember there's a lot of times where people don't square it up and they can't catch up to it because it's a really good pitch that he has. And he had the um, second or third most uh, or third highest uh, whiff percentage on fastballs last year. So it still misses a lot of bats. And, you know, he's a guy that also throws a lot of strikes. He had one of the best strikeout to walk ratios last year as well. So that's definitely something that encourages you. So I, I definitely. I mean, this was something the Yankees had to do, and personally, you know, a lot of the reaction it felt like around the baseball world was that the Mariners got a somewhat underwhelming return for Paxson. He does have two years of control left. You, you wish it was more, but you know, that's still that's still great for two quality years of a pitcher who who just turned 30 years old and uh, still should pretty much be in his prime. But you know, thinking about that package um, that they shipped away and we'll go into detail about it with Nick Cellini as well who covers a lot of Yankees minor league topics on the athletic but what are, what are your feelings about parting ways with Justice Sheffield who was brought over in the Andrew Miller trade and was the Yankees top prospect in the organization I think he was number 54 uh in all of the league but now heading over to Seattle yeah I mean i I like I said, I, I think Sheffield had really fallen out of favor uh, with not only the Yankees but a lot of a lot of teams. And Cashman did a good job um, selling when he could. Um, a, a left, you know, a, a lefty is always going to take a little bit longer to develop, it seems. And one one of the things that um, that concerns you though is still his small size and that's something that I really you can't draw a lot of comparisons to as a lefty that size so when he still has these control issues um you know it's something that it's something that's concerning and I think they had kind of maybe seen that this is something that's not going to work out and they tried to they tried to move him to the bullpen in the minors thinking he might be able to help in the playoffs which never materialized so um, I thought he did a, I thought he did a really good good job of moving him at the time. Um, what I'm what I'm interested in is that um, 
there was obviously more to that deal. And I think Eric Swanson as a second piece is a really good second piece because he's, he, you know, he's really been on the rise um, in the Yankees minor league system. So, and I think Jeff Sullivan said it on Fangraphs, it's, it's kind of a weird trade where the second piece is underrated and the centerpiece is overrated. Yeah. And Swanson is older. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see if he's able to materialize into a quality arm, but from from everything we've heard, it, it sounds like the Yankees kind of thought that those control issues by Sheffield that you mentioned were going to take much longer than they would have liked to kind of solve. And, and you saw the control issues in his very few major league appearances, which, of course, I'm sure there were plenty of nerves involved for a young kid like that coming into mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium for his first major league start. But those are also control issues that he had in the minor leagues. So, you know, if it, for the Yankees, this the window is now. They... They've arrived sooner than they thought. They they brought in the former NL MVP last year. Now they're bringing in, you know, an ace quality pitcher this year. They're clearly trying to win now. And if they have a prospect, regardless if it's their top prospect or not, if he seems like he's going to be a little bit more of a project than they thought, then you know, good for Brian Cashman to ship Sheffield off when his value was still as high as it was to get a guy like Paxton. And um, I just think it's another great move by Brian Cashman filling a glaring need, one that probably still would be considered a need, and you hope that you hope that Corbin's next. Uh, I know Jay Happ's still on the table, but for me, if, if you're going to you know reboot this rotation, just go all the way with it and get another top-quality arm like Corbin. And I, you know, for as good as Happ was down the stretch, Last year with the Yankees, of course, excluding his uh, lone postseason start, I, I still think that you go with someone like Corbin, who just has, who just seems like he has way more upside. He showed elite stuff last year in terms of his strikeout rates and how much his home run rates fell as well. So I'm I'm on board with the complete revitalization of this rotation and go and get Corbin next. Yeah, I mean, I think about this scenario um, as really exciting. Imagine they go out and spend money on the rotation by signing Corbin, then beef up the bullpen a little bit, which I think maybe we could touch on because there's some interesting things going on there. Um, And then sign a couple bit pieces for the lineup, and you still have uh, one of the top three offenses in the American League, top three bullpen, and the top rotation. That sounds like a championship team to me. The other option is that they could trade – um, with the Indians, if they really are going to move um, Kluber or somebody else with Andujar as the centerpiece, and then pour all your money into the bullpen and the lineup so you have an elite lineup uh, and rotation. I'm not sure how much money the Steinbrenners have allowed or will allow Cashman to spend, but either way, there's a lot of avenues right now for the Yankees to be an elite team uh, for the next two years. Absolutely, because they could trade for Kluber, who has another two years of control. That would give the Yankees a super rotation for the next two years. Uh, that does add a lot of pressure that they have to win a World Series in those two years. But at the same time, I think they're set up really well uh, to approach that. And um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't want to take a half measure and sign Jay Hat. Uh, he did a great job while he was here. If that fifth spot was open, I'd say absolutely, let's do it. But um, it's not, so let's let's go get another ace. Yeah, man, I sound like a Yankee fan when I say that. <laughs> it's it's the spoils of being a fan at times because they have a track record of going out and just you know grabbing whoever they want, and that's what's made some of this process in recent years so frustrating. Was that while you know this 
on the fly rebuild by Cashman was just so, you know, magical and out of nowhere. At the same time, you realize that once it became apparent that it was moving much faster than expected, then go all in and go for that ring. And that's not something they've really done, at least financially, in the in the past couple of years. You know, the Stanton trade was a huge splash, but they missed on a couple chances to grab some other pieces that they laid off of because money was an issue, i.e. Justin Verlander. And, um, and you know, Verlander's a, a guy that kind of makes you feel good about grabbing a guy like like Paxson, who's a fastball pitcher who, you know, is has now reached 30 years old because you have someone like Verlander who's still throwing gas at that at that age and at that point in his career. So, yep. you know, for Paxson, that's that's got to feel good for a Yankee fan seeing that if Verlander can do it, you know, no reason why Paxson can't keep that velocity up too. And um, and and I shouldn't have shorthanded. Um, I might have overstated the move, saying that that was the big move, because we can't forget that the Yankees also got Jeffrey Valdez from the Rockies. That that might have been the big splash of the week. I had to look up what what he was when they got him, um, <laughs> I did and too. I'm sure you did too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a bullpen piece somewhere down the road. He had a bunch of high strikeout numbers in the minors, so so we'll see. Maybe. You know, maybe they shipped off Sheffield and then try to get a discounted version of him somewhere else and yeah. try to make their own Sheffield. Yeah, the bullpen's a little bit interesting, especially, um, you know, Britain wants to get closer money, he said. So that's going to make getting him back hard. And it seems like there's more and more, like, kind of smog around Robertson uh, with that whole uh, playoff shares thing and, and you know, uh, it, it, it's interesting, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but there are some good relievers on the market. I know Odovino comes to mind, um, but we'll see what the Yankees wind up doing there. But you know, there are going to be some holes that need to be filled. Yeah, Robertson has become an interesting case. You initially, and it's something we brought up with Brian Hoke when when Robertson dropped his agent, and, and even Hoke said that he thought that represented. Um, such a high chance that the Yankees would bring him back because Robertson was kind of saying, like, I don't need an agent. I'm comfortable here. This is where I want to be. And Robertson has consistently said he wants to stay in the Northeast, that he lives in Rhode Island. But that also means that a team like the rival Red Sox wouldn't be off the table if they want some, excuse me, some bullpen help. Hey, well, um, I mean, yeah, he'd be a perfect fit there, too. Yeah, so that's definitely a concern, especially with this new report. I think it was George King that wrote that story about the postseason shares. And, you know, it's interesting. A story like that, I feel like, can go either way. You know, it's, it's not a good look because Robertson was leading that that discussion. Um, but you also have to remember that, yes, he was leading it, and yes, he clearly voted against some employees getting shares, but... That also had to have been a majority vote, so a bunch of other people voted in that way too. So I don't think Robertson should get all of the flack for that. But again, he is leading it because because of his work as a as a player's rep in the past. So I don't know. It, it, it's not a great look. Yeah, it could be too that Yankees know he's agentless, and maybe they're just kind of leaking some stories out there to try to generate some momentum against him so they could drive the price down. And that that's a possibility. That would that knows. would be very Randy Levine. Yes, that's he's a terrible human being. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. And then um, you know, as far as the lineup goes, uh, Machado clarified or attempted to clarify the Johnny Hustle comment. Uh, Bryce, 
I'm Bryce convinced. Harper might play first base. Yeah, I'm convinced Machado made those comments because Hal Steinbrenner told him to, and they're about to get him. That that's that's how I took it. I do not think so. He's going to be a late signer. He's going to get as much money as he yeah. as he can. And you know, I'd love to have him, but he makes so much sense for the Phillies. Like, there's such a need there. Oh yeah. Um, that that I could see that happening, and I just I could. I just don't. You know, of course you're right. It's it's a huge fit and a great fit for the Phillies. But I, just when you're talking about a, a talent like Machado, I just I don't I don't like to play into that factor of like where he would be a fit. Like Manny Machado is a great fit for any team in the league because that's how good he is. Like David right, Robert, David like- Robertson, a great fit for the Red Sox or the Yankees who are looking to solidify a bullpen. Manny Machado is. As much as I love David Robertson, his talent in terms of, you know, his rank among other infielders is just all the way up at the top and would be a great fit no matter who took him. And having Machado, Nick Stellini said, you know, alluded to this too, having having Manny Machado and then figuring out your infield alignment is such an enviable problem to have. I I don't disagree. That That's very fair. Um, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I just I, I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna go that route with him. Uh, it seems like they've they've positioned themselves to do it by coming out with those comments to try to drive the price down, and it's also seemed like they've tried to drive their interest in Harper down, which is weird that they're sort of like being very open about their interest in Machado, but at the same time downplaying any interest in Harper. So that's an interesting scenario because you know that this is where Harper wants to be. Yeah, but even though they're trying to keep that interest to a minimum, at least publicly, you see, you know, you have a couple tweets from John Heyman that have said the Yankees have, or John Morosi uh, tweeted that the Yankees have discussed it internally about going after Harper and moving him to first base. And then Heyman also mentioned that the Yankees um, could be a player for Harper and that a dark horse is the Mets, something I can't even say with a straight face. The Mets throwing that kind of money at Bryce Harper would would never happen, but so you know it's interesting. They're downplaying the interest, but you know still reports are getting out that they're talking about him, which Cashman said he would do. Look at every need and address every need, and um, and see who's available. So it, he wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't looking into the two uh, best free agents on the market right now. All Cashman wants to do right now is get rid of Sonny Gray. Yeah, that has been an interesting that no that, that really was a great had, article you wrote, but he hates Sonny Gray <laughs> almost yeah. more than I do. He ruined my bachelor party. He really did ruin the bachelor party. At least we had fun at paintball earlier that day. But that I was he, I wish he was at paintball. I would just shot him <laughs> every time. Um, that was just a situation where you knew it was going to be bad before you even got to the to the stadium. You just you look at that pitching matchup. It was Sonny Gray against Chris Sale. And yeah, the, and the Yankees had won in a landslide the night before. It it was just it, it was not trending in in the right direction. Yeah, you're hoping for one of those things where they're losing like three nothing in the seventh, and like they get a rally going, and you get a little bit excited. But even that was like a, a one in fifty chance of happening. Yeah, there was a Devers grand slam in the first inning with two outs, of course. And, there were um, two outs, two outs, and nobody on. <laughs> Yeah, I and then he it. did. Ha- yeah, he had a couple bad luck. There was an infield single, I think, and uh, that and, two strikes and two outs against Devers. Yep. Yeah, so that was rough. But 
Amen. Anyway, Cashman hates his guts because, uh, you know, he ruined my bachelor party, so he's trying to get rid of him. Yep, his time in New York is about to expire, as as Cashman said. So, Sonny Gray is about to be Sonny Corleone at the toll booth. But, all right, so let's, uh, let's talk to Nick Cellini. He uh, brought up a lot of the things we've discussed so far, the possibility of Harper at first base, um, Manny Machado in pinstripes, getting another pitcher, uh, Nick Cellini, writer for Baseball Prospectus and The Athletic, and here he is. Okay, we're joined now by Nick Cellini. You can catch his work on The Athletic and Baseball Prospectus. Nick, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Thanks for having me. So you've done a lot of coverage on the Yankees minor leaguers on the Athletic, and the Yankees obviously just sent some of those minor leaguers over to the West Coast in the deal to bring James Paxton to New York. So a lot of people debating who won this trade. Obviously, that's not something you can really dictate until some of these minor leaguers um, get some major league experience. But what do you make of the package that the Yankees gave away to get Paxton? Uh, well, I think uh, the Yankees may like that. It's here in a little way, not not to diminish how good Justice Sheffield and Eric Swanson and Dom Thompson Williams all have a chance of being. Um, but Paxton is a huge get. Even with his durability concerns, you get like 160 innings of him per year. That's a really strong boost to your pitching staff. Um, and, you know, as good as Sheffield is, and he's obviously a very highly rated prospect across the board, but pretty much everybody, um, there is some volatility there. Um, you know, there's a risk that he's not even a starter. He's a reliever. Now, if he is a reliever, there's a chance he's a really good reliever. Like you, there's an outcome here where he's sort of like a Josh Hader type, may even because he does have filthy stuff. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not you can throw enough strikes to stay in a rotation. Um, now, with with the advent of higher bullpen use, you know, you know, getting innings out of your starter isn't necessarily as important. But even then, it's nice to have a guy who can throw strikes. Um, but he's going to be a big leader. This is probably. No question about that. I mean, unless the command really goes south or, or just refuses to improve at all, um, but it's just a matter of what his role is. Swanson is, you know, he made some big strides in the last couple of years after coming over from the Rangers and the Beltron deal. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who really like him, but you know, he might be a back end starter. He could be a swing man. That was some of the reports that were coming out after the deal that some rival evaluators are saying he's a swing man. Um, but even then, he's a, he's a big leaguer, which the Mariners certainly need right now. Thompson Williams is sort of a wild card. He's got some good pop in his bat. He had really developed last year, but he's 23 in, in high A. Um, so it, it's a flyer there. Um, he could be a bench guy, but um, there's, there's a lot of outcomes there. So overall, I, I think that the Yankees really did do well here. So now, looking at Paxton, you mentioned as if he can stay healthy. There's been some durability concerns, but some of it were kind of fluky. He got hit by a comebacker. He's also had some back issues and pectoral issues. How how concerned do you think the Yankees are that they might be bringing on a pitcher that can give you those 200-inning seasons? Um, I mean, I think, look, if they pull the trigger on the deal, they obviously feel pretty happy about what they got. Um, I mean, they, 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 Paxton is clearly somebody they targeted. It's not like, you know, he fell into their laps. I mean, he's somebody they targeted. Um, and you know, look, James Paxton's really, really good when he's on the field. Um, like you said, some of them have been fluky, like the comebacker. Um, the, the repeated muscle strains worry me a little bit. Um, he is, quote unquote, on the wrong side of 30 now. Um, but like I said, even 
if you get 160, 180 innings of him every year, you don't get 200 innings from him. Um, that's still really good for how how thoroughly good he is. Um, you'll take that. I mean, as long as he's around for October, really, you take that. Um, and look, maybe maybe it is really fluky. Maybe he does qualify for the ERA title for the first time ever this year. But again, he's never qualified for the ERA title before. Um, you know, take that as you will. You, you look at his his injury history. It, it, it's a mixed bag. Um, do I think that they made a mistake here? Goodness, goodness, no. This is a great trade, and the trade they had to make. If they, this was the off on the table, but absolutely. So Cashman has also said repeatedly that he wants to add two starters, so check one box, and now you look at other availabilities. Would you consider Patrick Corbin to be almost a foregone conclusion right now? I mean, he really seems like he would fit with what the Yankees want to do. And what do you make of Corbin? His strikeout rate just skyrocketed last year, and um, do you think that's something that can be sustainable? And should the Yankees um, you know, throw that money his way to make sure he's in pinstripes next year? I mean, I'm not going to call it a foregone conclusion, but I mean, the writing on the wall has been there for like a year now. Um, you're hearing, you know, reports like a year ago that Patrick Corbin wanted to be a Yankee, and he's always been a guy that that is fit the mold. Um, even before he got all these strikeouts this year, a couple of years ago, before his elbow blew up, he had a really good season. Made the All Star team. Um, I mean, he's had, you know, look, even even if he's a average to moderately above average starter, that's worth a lot of money. Um, and with, with Paxson in the fold now, there's less onus on Corbin to really be a, a frontline guy. Um, if, if they if they do if they do the go that way, because they have Severino, they have Paxson, Tanaka has shown he's been really good. Um, so there's there's less onus on Corbin to to be a a major X factor in that rotation. Now, if you get him and he is, that's great. But if you get him and he's just a, a solid number three, number four starter, which most teams would kill to have Patrick Corbin as a number four starter. By the way, um, that that's a really good sign for the Yankees. So another member of their rotation who very likely won't be anymore is is Sonny Gray and I'm just I've just been so fascinated by this uh the way Brian Cashman's been handling this he's been you know in my opinion overly vocal about uh Sonny Gray's time in in New York being up and it almost seems like there might be <clears throat> some kind of animosity perhaps between the two what do you make of this whole situation and just how just how vocal and clear Cashman's been that Sonny Gray's time is about to expire in New York Animosity. Um, I mean, listen, uh, Cash is the guy who brought him in. It's not like he sat across from the table and Sonny Gray told him, oh, yeah, I can do this. It's totally cool. Um, Cash was the guy who traded for him. Um, this, this, is, this is his baby at the end of the day. Um, so, now that being said, looking at what Yankees sent over to Oakland, it's not like they lost out on a lot of stuff here. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, look, everybody and their and their uncle knows that Sonny Gray's time in New York is pretty much over. Um, it, it's, it's a rough situation because I mean, Sonny Gray's been a really good pitcher in his career, and even last year when he came over, he wasn't that bad when he came here. Um, it, it just hasn't worked out, and everybody knows that. There's no sense beating around the bush. Um, I mean, if Brian Cashman was to go, go up on stage at the press conference and say, "Yeah, you know, we're going to see what we can do with Sonny, and maybe we'll try and work out and keep him here," they, they just wouldn't. They wouldn't fly. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, do you wish that it had worked out better? Obviously, because the good version of Sonny Gray is a really good pitcher. Um, but would he see probably best serves elsewhere? Yes, um, and I imagine that a deal will get done probably before the year's out. I would imagine. 
So another uh, recent report, uh, I think it was John Morosi of MLB Network, said that the Yankees had at least internally discussed the possibility of bringing over Bryce Harper and trying him out at first base. Does does that seem realistic to you at all, given the contract he turned down in Washington and, and just how much money he's going to be expected? Would the Yankees throw that kind of money, you know, given the left-handed swing at Yankee Stadium and all that, but would they give that kind of money to someone who would be switching over to an unnatural position? Um, well, I know that Harper has taken ground balls at first in the past. It's not something that's entirely 100% foreign to him. I know that at least this year he was taking grounders at first in the Nats. Now, he's, I don't think he's ever played an in-game. That's sort of a big difference there. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily a totally outlandish idea. I mean, look, for all for all those woes, Bryce Harper is still a top percentile athlete. He is an incredibly athletic person. Um, and so I, I wouldn't throw that sort of position change behind it, uh, past him. Um, I think that it's, it's an, it's an interesting option. It's one that I thought of that before, but I don't know if that's, you know, necessarily, it's not probably not plan a, but it, it's definitely something that's interesting enough to talk about. Um, and it, it might be a way of fitting on the roster. Now I think that they could sign him to throw in left field and they'd be fine. Um, I, I don't think that, um, the roster as it's constructed right now is in any way exclusive from that's not a word, but it, 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 it doesn't exclude Rice Harper from the roster just by the way, the way it's currently uh, constructed, you could sign him and throw him to left field and, you know, Gardner's the fourth outfielder, which is probably best for him at this point anyway. So another maybe kind of outside the box option over at first base. A lot of people have said, given Miguel Andujar's struggles at third base, maybe move him over to first. And now with the acquisition of Paxton, it seems you know probably a lot less likely that likely that Andujar is going to be traded for a, someone like a Corey Kluber. So do the Yankees maybe try Andujar at first base a little bit next year, and, or do they th- see if he can just improve at the hot corner? Um, again, Andy Hart is a guy who's had some experience at first base in the minors, I think. Um, I don't have his player page up in front of me, but I, I, I believe he has done that at some point in the past. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's definitely in the realm of possibility. Um, I, I mean, I, his, his, his bat is clearly there. It's a major league bat. He was a very nearly rookie of the year. Um, and I think that his contact ability is a valuable asset for the lineup as it's constructed right now. Um, it's something I would like to, I would think the Yankees would like to, to keep around. If, and um, maybe it's at first base, maybe maybe somewhere down the line he's a left fielder. Um, he's definitely athletic enough to play the outfield. Um, it, it just, it, I mean, is there no possibility that his third base defense improves? No, um, but it doesn't look good right now. So I, they're, they're going to explore all their options, and maybe that's the way it goes. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, at that point, too many cooks in the kitchen at first base because you have got Luke Voigt. Greg Bird's still on the roster for now. Um, and I don't think trading for Paxson is necessarily – shuts the door on another trade for a pitcher because, you know, let's say maybe Corbin signs elsewhere like Philadelphia. Now what do you do? Um, do you bring back today Hap? Do you try and trade for somebody else? So I, it would be a big, big fish if they were going to go out and, and uh, trade Andar for a pitcher because we all know how valuable Miguel Andar is. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily 100% of the question. He's going to be valuable for somebody next year at some position. That, that, that's the fact of the matter. He's a good major league player and I don't think the defense is a it's not the thing you don't worry about Miguel Andar it's a matter of finding a place for him to play so another big fish and probably the one that's been talked about the most in Yankee universe would be Manny Machado just 
What are your just overall overall thoughts on on that situation? I think someone's ringing your doorbell. No, I'm outside. There's a bell ringing. Sorry. <laughs> um, hold on, sorry. That's okay. Yeah, I'm on campus right now. Sorry. No worries. This is the longest sorry. bell I think I've sorry. ever heard. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. So, yeah, so, um, so with Manny Machado, he's definitely somebody who the fit is obvious. You know, with Didi's injury, um, they need, you know, they're, they have the money to do it. Um, they're the Yankees, so you're going to get you're gonna get a star player in some capacity, hopefully. Um, and, yeah, so with Didi being hurt, um, Machado makes a lot of sense to slot in at shortstop. Um, it's just a matter of, I mean, Trying to fit Didi back onto the team when he's healthy is a good problem to have. If Manny Machado is one causing that problem, that's it. That's a really enviable position to be in. Um, so maybe it's that Machado slides over to third and Didi plays short, and you figure it out for next year when Didi is a free agent. You figure out if you want to keep him or not. Um, I would think that if Didi comes back well and his elbow is properly healed, he can still throw to first base, and he's still a good defender, that he might be somebody the Yankees are interested in keeping around because, like we talked about with Harper, he has that lefty bat, and the Yankees are a very right-handed team right now. Uh, and more than that, he's just he, he's an important presence in that clubhouse as well. Everybody loves Didi. So, yeah, you want, you want to try and keep him around. Um, so maybe you tell Manny Machado, listen, when Didi comes back and he's healthy, you're playing third base, and you throw enough money at him that he's happy about that. Um, I've, I go back and forth on the uh, Machado versus Harper debate because uh, I think that Harper, you want his lefty bat, and whether he plays first base or somewhere in the outfield, that's great. Um, you know, with Machado, you like the defense in the infield. And you 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 you're having too many really good infields is a good problem to have. Um, I, so either way, that I think that they they come out winners no matter who they get. It's just a matter of making work with with the pieces of the puzzle. So as I said earlier, you've done a lot of uh, minor league coverage for the Yankees for the, for the Athletic, and that was a farm system that was so highly touted after the 2016 reload, I guess you can call it. But now the Yankees have made some trades; they've called up some of those top prospects, and and you mentioned a possible trade with Andujar for a guy like Kluber or Carrasco, and you, you would imagine that the Yankees would have to include more than just Andujar for a guy like Kluber. So, do the Yankees still have that kind of farm system to pull off? Off these trades or have they kind of you know spent that wealth and they're kind of back down to the middle of the pack in terms of farm system strength um well Kluber is interesting because I mean if you look at the Indians roster I mean, you could probably slide Ramirez over to second to make room for Andahar um and in that sort of trade yeah Corey Kluber is one of the probably 10 or 15 best pitchers on the planet right now um so it's just a matter of how you make all that work um, and Duar takes care of a lot of that because he's a proven major leaguer with a great bat um, the defense worries you but you, you make room for him somewhere on the field to get that bat in your lineup and maybe he's a DH because in the Indians have Edwin and Cross-Yellen but maybe they move Jan Gomes in a trade um, so he, he's a valuable commodity and he takes care of a lot of the value that you'll need there but yes the Yankees still do have that kind of prospect wealth it's further down on the ladder than it has been in recent years but it's there I mean they still have Esteban Floreal who is pretty highly thought of um, 
mean, we saw him this year, but Jonathan Malizek is a very interesting pitcher. I, I was very high on him before he made his debut. Um, he's got great stuff. Maybe he's not a starter because of the durability, but he's probably a damn good reliever if he has to go to the bullpen. And you can get two to three great innings of relief out of him. Turn the line over once, and he's really good. Um, they, they still have some guys down there. And so I, I'm, I'm confident that in their ability to get something done like that, um, it's, it's going to hurt. Yeah, but that's that's the, why you have good prospects, not only to something like your roster, but to trade for good players. Um, I mean, they don't give out rings for best farm system. That's a good point. And we're talking to uh, Nick Cellini of the Athletic and Baseball Prospectus. Nick, thanks so much for coming on and enjoy your Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks to Nick Cellini for coming on and talking with us. I know it's a busy week for everyone as everyone was getting ready for the holidays. And um, Sean, you were unfortunately unable to be part of the interview because we were a little busy ourselves this week. Yeah, absolutely. I missed the interview because uh, you, you kept saying we got to. And I'm like, nah, I wasn't there. I was slacking off, not working for the <laughs> podcast. I was, I was watching Creed in theaters, which I know uh, you went to see just you know, three hours after I saw it. Yeah, what I did was work it around the scheduled interview for the podcast and just was trying to be dedicated to the team. Well, I mean, I had reserved seats, which I only paid five, $5.06 for, so I wasn't about to give those up. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, what did, you, uh, what did you think of Creed? I loved Creed. I, I actually just wrote a review about it for Comic Book Resources, and basically my take on it was that they clearly took a safe, predictable route and just kept it in line with the dna of the rest of the rocky franchise which was just to be entertaining and have a lot of nostalgic callbacks and and good characters and that's exactly what they did and that's all i was looking for in the movie so i thoroughly enjoyed it loved having ivan drago back i mean to be honest you know the first creed was so refreshing because it was like a, a new a new take on a new character and it it just all seemed so new again for the rocky franchise and you you wanted it to keep trending that way, but then once they brought Drago back, you were kind of back into nostalgia mode, and I, I left wishing that I had seen more of Drago and, and Rocky, you know, going at it, maybe at like a weigh-in or something, and they get into a little a little scuffle or, or something like that. But all, all in all, I, I loved it. Four out of five stars. Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I'd I'd say I'm right around there. I, I um. I loved the first Creed. I mean, that's yeah. that's a great movie. Uh, great, not good, great. And um, I thought Creed Two was good. Uh, definitely, um, they took the safe route. But kind of what took a little air out of the balloon for me was there were some opportunities there to really do something refreshing, uh, and they didn't go for it. Uh, and and they went the predictable way instead, which is fine. But when you go into a movie with and I'm going to be honest, I went in with low expectations because, I mean, it's just supposed to be stupid fun, right? It's it's Rocky, Drago, Creed, Drago. Um, so, and then it was like, wow, they made a great movie and they could do so much with this. And then it's like, oh, okay, but they just went the regular way. But overall, it was still a really fun time at the movies. Uh, very entertaining film. I, I would say I, I gave Creed 1 an A uh, plus and I'd give uh, Creed 2 a B. So, yeah, solid. I think that's the solid, yeah, solid. Oak. So, the Rocky series is a, a cornerstone in the in the Chichester household. But but back to the Yankees. Um, 
Hall of Fame season is just around the corner. And to be honest, it could be one of the most infuriating parts of the baseball season when you just have all these tiring debates about who should be in, who should be out, uh, steroid use, blah, 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 this and that. But a bunch of Yankees making appearances all the way up at the top from the greatest closer of all time and Mariano Rivera all the way down to former Yankee legend Vernon Wells are all listed and um, have the, the Bronx is Vernon. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, obviously, I think the focus for, you know, just for the sake of time, we can keep it centralized to Mariano, Andy Pettit, and uh, Mike Mussina, who has been trending in the right direction the past couple of years. And I, th- I think we can start with him. It, it, for me, this feels like this could be Mussina's year. He's been trending in the right direction. People are starting to appreciate that even though he didn't win a Cy Young and he didn't win 300 games which you know thank thank you Jacob deGrom for helping to continue the um movement to get to at least minimize the importance of that stupid stat uh but Musina pitched his entire career in the AL East his career war I think was 10 higher than the average Hall of Fame pitcher so he belongs in the Hall of Fame yeah absolutely I mean you um if you just look at the old stats, it doesn't really do justice because the error that he pitched in and the division that he pitched in, right? But if you watched him pitch, uh, you understand why he is a Hall of Famer. And I'm really hoping that he gets in this year. Him and Mariano should be in together. And fittingly with Mariano, uh, Edgar should be going in too. Because, I mean, we're talking about Yankees, but Edgar's a Yankee killer. And if they're ever going to put David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame, which I'm sure they will, because God, they all love him for some unknown reason. Um, well, he was really good. I mean, as he is a bitter rival, but he also I, Ortiz? I was yeah, I was never, oh yeah, he was really I was good, never was more scared. Oh yeah, no, Edgar was better. He was a Mariano Rivera killer. If we're being even more specific to Yankees splits he i think he batted almost 500 against him he, he was well, that's unbelievable why I said they should go in together i mean yeah no i agree he he's another one that definitely should be on it um i want to have a podcast where we just shit on david ortiz but that's just besides <laughs> the point i'm sorry um but yeah no yeah i mean edgar absolutely needs to be in the hall of fame that's it's ridiculous that he hasn't gotten in yet but um like i said messina has to be in um the the war is there. The error that he pitched in and the division he pitched in uh, needs to be taken into consideration. And uh, Mariano's a no doubter. What do you think about Mr. Pettit? I, I don't think I don't think he gets in this year. But I don't think there's any chance. I don't. I'm interested to see what his percentage will be. But you know, in terms of people who were on the Mitchell report, I think he was one of the ones who was. Um, you know, hand, who was handled the best and, and received the best in terms of his admission and, and road to redemption. Um, and, and you've seen over the years that the that there's been a softness building in terms of steroid users, but, you know, looking at Clemens and Bonds, uh, not enough to get there. And Clemens and Bonds are two of the best to ever play in terms of their positions. And Pettit would have been a marginal Hall of Famer, even without all that stuff, um, as Yankee fans, we love him so much because we think to the postseason when he was just absolutely incredible. We mentioned the 2009 uh, World Series earlier in this episode, and Pettit won all three clinching games. One of them was on three days rest, and he was just always there to win the big game in the postseason. And he was just also a f- phenomenal pitcher. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think um, just his marginal Hall of Fame case as it is, com- compounded with some of the controversy that surrounded his time right around when he was in Houston, where he also helped lead a team to a World Series. I uh, don't think it's enough. You know, maybe he gets like, I don't know, between 10 and 15% of the votes this year, something like that. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. I don't think he will get much, but I mean, the he has such a good relationship with the writers. I mean, I know, I think Peter Gammons wrote the piece when he retired about how he texted Peter and apologized because he had done an interview once and, and said that he had never taken steroids or something like that. And like, you could just tell they were like, Oh, he's such a good guy. And, um, you know, I met, met Andy once and he was a really nice guy. So I think a lot of people like him, but I mean, we've seen people that aren't like not get into the hall of fame, uh, for that reason. So I'm interested to see if that kind of softness for him leads to a higher percentage. I think he has no chance to make the hall of fame now or ever, um, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, not every player that you love is a hall of famer. You might just love a player because, um, of the effort that he gives, um, with his maybe talent that's not quite at hall of fame level, but allows him to compete. And that's why we love Andy Pettit. And, um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Fellow bomber brother, Kyle, that's his, uh, that's his favorite Yankee right there. He's no doubt a Yankee hall of famer and, and, and you're right. It, it will be interesting to see how the relationship with the writers and the voters impacts that because, you know, you look at a guy like Ted Williams, who somehow wasn't a unanimous hall of fame vote. And obviously he didn't have a great relationship with, with the writers. Right. So, um, and I, I Kyle, still... Kyle liked Pettit so much. He used to watch channel 46, <laughs> which was C-SPAN. Imagine yeah, that when talk, you're talk about, seven years old. Talk about dedication. Um, and then I, I'm still baffled at how Griffey wasn't um, unanimous. But with that being said, do we get the first unanimous choice? And is it a Yankee? Because I just I cannot wrap my head around anyone looking at this ballot this year and not checking Mariano Rivera. I mean, how could he not be 100%? Somebody's going to say... Back in my day, closers pitched three innings <laughs> and not vote for him. I guarantee it. You're yeah, no, I, I agree. There's it's... those guys that turn in blank ballots. I mean, he's not going to get. He's not going to get 100. percent And uh, just because some of the writers are old assholes, and that's that's it. There will also there will also be another writer who says, "Oh, you know what? He's obviously going to get in anyway. So why don't I help the case of someone else that I like? Maybe I'll give one last chance to Fred McGriff or something like that." And um, you got to get in the batter's box. <laughs> So, I mean, it's it's not going to happen. But again, you know, I mean, really, who cares? Just like with the whole DeGrom thing, there was one voter who didn't vote him for the Cy Young. As crazy as I think that is, who cares? He still was a landslide choice for something that he completely deserved. And if Mo is 99, gets 99% of the votes, then, I mean, he deserved 100. But he's, <laughs> you know, regarded by pretty much everybody as the greatest closer of all time, and rightfully so. And, um... I think I think that'll be a good first time to attend a Hall of Fame induction this summer to go uh, to go see our beloved Mo. Yeah, I uh, I'm down. It's just a matter of finances because um, you know my wife's dog blew out her ACL, so it's going to cost me a lot of money. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if 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 the car if the finances are recovered by then. But uh, shout out to Kamora. I hope she has a speedy recovery once she has surgery. Well, Kimura could look no further than Mo, 
who bounced back from the ACL injury and was phenomenal when he came back from it. So I think she'll be just fine. She's a warrior. She's like Paul O'Neill. Um, but I'll uh, I'll go let you tend to her, and that's uh, about all the time we have this week. Oh wait, you're putting your hand up. Well, I mean, you said last week we're going to mention one thing that we're going to do to kind of pass the time. In the oh, last that's right. Week. Yeah. Yep. So I don't want to let that tradition die at yeah, once. No, good. You said we're going to do it every week. You know, I'm good just trying call. to be accountable here. So what's up? What are you going to do this week? Uh, oh, well, I have my high school reunion on Saturday, so that, that'll be um, probably the, the main thing that I'm looking forward to. And we're both Notre Dame football fans. They're looking to seal a college football playoff berth, so I'll, I'll transfer over to the gridiron um, for the weekend and get lost in some of the college football madness that ensues. And so I'd say college football and... And old high school friends will get me through another week of the long off season. Nice. That sounds good. I don't have much. I'm going on a trip for work, which I'm not really looking forward to. I just got a new job and I have to go on a work trip already. And um, I hope your yeah, boss doesn't listen to this podcast. He's a Texas Rangers fan, so I doubt <laughs> he does. Oh, that's okay. I mean, I just I don't I just don't want to go because you know I just got married. Wife just moved into the house. I don't want to leave her here with her dog. That blew out her ACL that sucks so but yeah. um I mean I am looking forward to the Notre Dame game for sure and uh you know one of the things I am starting to look forward to is my Rangers are playing some good hockey so I'm looking forward to maybe sitting down and watching a game uh this weekend while I wait for furniture to be delivered to the house and nice. the worst are, thing the, the worst better. thing happened to me was I got civilized <laughs> just like Rocky before he uh, fought Clover Lang yeah. all right well, that's it for us. We'll see everybody next week. Hopefully there's another big trade or signing to talk about. But for now, uh, Yankee fans, enjoy your shiny new toy in the starting rotation, and we'll see everybody next week. See you next week, everybody. Thankful for our hundred listeners.